Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. everyone. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays as well as helping to keep this program going. If you've already subscribed, thank you. It makes a big difference. We're charting in Israel, so a special thank you to our subscribers there. Um, Sarah, what did we watch this week? Well, we'll open today's file. We watched The Texas Killing Fields on Netflix. This is part of the crime scene, that's S C E N E <laughs> series <laughs> on Netflix, uh, executive produced by Ron Howard. Uh, there have been two previous installments in 2021. The Times Square Killer and The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. I have to say Cecil. I would say Cecil, but mm. Americans, Cecil. <laughs> they were both directed by Joe Berlinger. The one we're discussing today is a three-part docuseries, of course, three parts, directed by Jessica Dimmick. Now, Jessica Dimmick directed Captive Audience, which we covered here on Crime Scene, S-E-E-N, mm. uh, in Episode 13 with today's guest. Librarian, board game enthusiast, and winner of Survivor New Zealand Thailand, Lisa Holmes. Lisa, welcome back to the scene. Thank you very much for having me. We love having you here, Lisa, and so glad you can come back. And uh, very fortuitous that we're uh, reviewing another um, uh, another property from the director from your last visit. Mm-hmm, yeah. Fortuitous uh, or just fantastic scheduling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes, exactly. We did this on purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just jump into the crime. So for everybody listening, it's uh, the documentary is very twisty-turny. We're not going to break it down and recap it beat by beat. We will give you a flavour of it and give you our recommendations at the end. So if you haven't seen it, you can figure out whether you want to watch it. And if you have seen it, I'm sure you'll be pleased that we're not going minute by minute. But I will just do a general overview of the region that this documentary takes place in. Uh, Since the early 1970s, 33 bodies of murder victims have been found along the I-45 corridor in Texas, including a particular area called Calder Road Field, 
which became known as the Killing Field. They were mainly the bodies of girls or young women. Many additional girls and young women have disappeared from this area and their bodies are yet to be found. It's believed that many of the murders are the work of multiple serial killers. It's it's an unpleasant idea to grasp that there are more than one and it was unfortunately what's called the golden age of serial killers in America from the 70s to the early 90s and that's when many of these girls and young women went missing. Uh, they were aged between, mostly between 12 and 25. Despite the efforts from the police and the assistance of the FBI, very few of these murders have been solved. And those that have been solved were predicated on confessions given by prisoners or confessions given under duress from police, or in one case that we know of, a bargain to avoid the death penalty. And we must also say there are bodies of girls and young women who are yet to be identified. Although the docuseries deals with only a few of these women and girls, we'd like to take a moment to say the names of all the victims that are known. Brenda Jones, 14. Colette Wilson, 13. Rhonda Johnson, 14. Sharon Shaw, 13. Gloria Gonzalez, 19. Alison Craven, 12. Debbie Ackerman, 15. Maria Johnson, 15. Kimberly Pitchford, 16, Suzanne Bowers, 12. Brooks Bracewell, 12, Gloria Gear, 14, Michelle Garvey, 15, Sandra Ramba, 14, Edie Fye, 23. Laura Miller, 16, Audrey Cook, 30, Shelley Sykes, 19, Suzanne Richardson, 22. Donna Prudhomme, 34, Lynette Bibbs, 14, Tamara Fisher, 15, Crystal Baker, 13. Jessica Kane, 17, Tot Harriman, 57, Sarah Trusty, 23, Teresa Venegas, 16. So let's talk about the documentary. First of all, have you seen any of the other crime scene series, Lisa? Oh, my gosh. I started watching Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, and I thought, just to give a very measured review, it was atrocious crap. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Hold that up. What a load of absolute <laughs> wank. Yep. Uh, very misleading and re-victimised the victim, I thought. Mm. Not that there really, I mean, not that there was a victim, but just a horrible, exploitative thing. And so yeah, I, make- I it in fairness, I didn't finish watching it because it was so bad. <laughs> yeah, making up that that this hotel is somehow a malevolent building. It's it's just, please don't treat me like that, Joe Berlinger. Don't do me like that. <laughs> I mean, it's a horrible story, but mm, yeah. it's a, it's not a story of an evil building. It's a story of a very mm. unfortunate young girl who who died in a, terrible circumstance. Mary, do you know this case? Oh, of course. I know the case. I know the show. I, I will say, like, I did see on Texas Killing Field, it kept saying crime scene Texas Killing Field. I didn't realize it was connected to the other two until you guys said it, because it just seems like it seems like they tack those on for some reason. It's like they want you to make sure that, like, if you see this one, then you'll see this one, you see this one, whatever. But, yes, I saw The Vanishing at the Sea, so I actually found it quite entertaining you know, like it entertained me, but I knew, like you guys said, it was salacious. It was supposed to be kind of like scandalous. So it, I watched it like intrigued because I, I, I did like how they talked about Internet sleuths and that it kind of took that dark turn when they got to like the darkness of how the Internet sleuths almost ruined this guy's life. I thought it was very interesting because the case itself is very well known. So, I mean, I know the story of like Elisa Lamb and, and the unfortunateness of basically just, you know, it's one of those things where you think like Occam's Raiders are the most the most simplest answer is probably the answer. And it's probably she was, you know, going through some things and unfortunately due to a tragic accident, 
died. You know, I, I, all of the malevolent forces and the whole serial killer thing or or whatever. It it was too. It was a lot, and I agree that it was it was sensationalized crap. Um, but I did again. I did find it entertaining in in a way. But I also think it's it's one of those things where coincidences draw people into cases like this like the night stalker staying at that hotel is kind of like that's so messed up you know <laughs> like that's yes. one of those things there's like and then people turn a lot of people turn up dead like it's one of those things where urban legends people love urban legends and stuff like that so yeah i agree it it's not for good journalism or good like it, it's a lot of red flags uh but I, I did watch the whole entire series and did like enjoy watching the series the Times Square Killer, on the other hand, same director, Joe Berlinger, I mean, it still has his kind of slightly hectic, frantic style, but mm-hmm. I thought that was very good. And here, yes. again, it's the idea of a crime scene, this place where people are drawn to for some reason. I don't buy into that. But the the history of Times Square and the talking heads they had were very interesting. They had mm-hmm. historians. They had the daughter of the porn king. They had two... Mm-hmm. Uh, former sex workers. They had someone whose uh, entire kind of academic thesis has been around sex work and feminism, as well as the police, some of the victims who survived, and archival footage of the murderer and the actual story of finding the murderer. I found really interesting, Murray. No, I agree. I think it it was one of my recommendations on here. I can't remember which episode, but uh, I really enjoyed watching the the Times Square Killer. It was one. It was a case I did not know about, and found very. I thought it was very well paced, very fascinating. So um, I think we can say two for three on yes. on the crime scene series. Oh, Lisa, did you see the <laughs> well, Times Square? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't see the Times Square Killer. But I, right. as you were talking, I just added it onto my list. Very Dang. good. That's what we like. <laughs> All right. So now Jessica Dimmick directed Captive Audience. To remind our viewers, uh, Lisa, just a quick rundown there. Yeah, uh, Captive Audience was a documentary about Stephen Stainer, mm-hmm. who was abducted when he was a child and his family never gave up looking for him. And then eventually he um, turned up uh, as a teenager alive, like he'd been kept captive by this very damaged person. Bad man. Mm-hmm. Bad man. Yeah. Who and the reason why he um well okay I won't spoil too much, but yeah, we did we yeah. I think we all really enjoyed we that. We did a really it good job. A, yeah. It was yes, it talked yes. about the crime, but it also talked about uh trauma. And I yeah. so I really appreciated how that was all handled. And how Stephen's disappearance affected his brother Carrie Stainer, who ended up becoming the Yosemite uh, killer later down the road. Was oh, also yeah. in that docuseries Captive Audience. Go check out like, yeah, our, our intergenerational trauma and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what what kind of DNA, if I may say, DNA threads do you see between Captive Audience and this docu series here, if any? I, <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised because I didn't I didn't click straight away that it was the same director. Mm. And and as I was watching this, I was thinking, man, you know, Captive Audience. Ah, oh, that was so much. I love the way that approached it. This is just like mm, so so. And then mm-hmm. when I found out it was the same person. I, I was surprised. I, but I think one thing that did carry through both was the focus on the people involved and mm-hmm. the not so much the victims, but the people around them and how the situation of having a loved one murdered mm-hmm. has informed the rest of their lives. And maybe like this sort of trauma informed responses to it. Great point, yeah, like, Lisa. Yeah. For no, me, oh, I clocked it immediately. Like I watched it. It was the way that they had the hands placing the photos on the table. That um, oh. I saw it. I was like, oh nope, let me look. And I looked on my phone. I was like, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it because that was one of the things in captive audience that we talked about that I really enjoyed how they were going mm-hmm. through um, uh, Stephen and, and Carrie's well, Stephen's belongings and how they were they're using his pictures and old stuff and they, the way and the reverence in which they were showing us these items from Stephen's childhood that he had preserved for his daughter and his son was very you know on that nice carpet <laughs> in captive audience mm-hmm. was very. Um, 
something that's stuck in my mind. So when here in Texas Killing Fields, we're getting the victim's pictures being placed down on a table with the same type of reverence, I was like, this feels very familiar. And I immediately um, thought that there was at least the same director, somebody integral to this one. And I was I was not let down by that. You could definitely see the production, uh, the similarities, I can say, between the series, if anything. So, Mari, what's your sort of high-level first response to this series? Good, bad, mixed? So for me, uh, the Texas Killing Field was, I, I, it was a slog to get through for me, the three episodes. I just, something about it did not feel good <laughs> to me. I, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but it was just, it was so much death, but, but not in, in a way that I didn't know where these cases were going. I had no clue where the story was unfolding, but slowly as it kept going along, I started to not really care, to be quite honest. I don't know if that's harsh, but the storytelling to me was not captivating. The only time that I was really captivated, like truly, truly captivated, was taught when we talked to Tim Miller, having Tim Miller tell us his side, uh, having a Hedy Fies. I want to say it was her like niece. It was her niece, niece. talking. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I think it was one of the mothers of one of the younger girls. Like those okay. three. Yes. Yes, exactly. Those three people were the three people that every time they were on screen, I listened and I was captivated and I wanted to know more. But the rest of the pacing to me, I just it it just felt really weird and clunky and how they unveiled the the victims in the road and they kept going back and forth between the suspects they kept showing us the same graveyard over and over again the same pictures over and over again um it felt very b-roll movie ish to me they even had like most of the stuff if you look at a lot of the the film from it it was like 48 hours was in the corner like it was it was they were just splicing from 48 hours or cbs news it was just like like they were splicing archival footage and the funny thing is like now that i'm thinking about it they she did this exact same thing with captive audience but for some reason it worked way better there Mm -hmm. i'm thinking i'm thinking maybe because captive audience that that case truly unfolded in the media so it was it was more it was easier to grasp but the killing fields to me it just i didn't understand a good portion of it like what are we talking about here we're we're going through these women's murders like it, it felt like they're they're trying to connect their cases which i'm not so sure that all of their cases are connected like sarah said like um it's hard to fathom that multiple serial killers can be happening at one time. Every time they said that in this documentary, and they said a good portion, many, many a times, I was like, California says hello. Like 1970s, 1980s Los Angeles says hi. 1980s Bay Area says hello. Like that is, that's not true. Like we've seen serial killers, especially in that time frame, operate multiple in one single location. This is not far fetched, you know? So, um, and then when we did start to get away from the Calder field bodies that we were actually, that we were introduced to, we got taken to some other bodies that I didn't even realize were then, it was a different case until it was kind of like down the road. And I'm like, wait, there are two suspects. Like me and my husband were watching this together and he was he was saying like I was like oh so it was the guy in the black cowboy hat and we're like oh wait both the suspects have black cowboy hats and James was like well Texas I'm like well I don't yeah, know <laughs> you know it, it was it was one at one point I was like okay these bodies are for this guy and these bodies are still unconfirmed and you know it didn't have a satisfying conclusion to me at all I was not satisfied with the end I felt like I didn't get any answers maybe again at this point I was kind of checked out but I I wasn't a fan of this I hate to say all of that I don't know am I alone in this Lisa what's your yes yes Lisa (laughs) you are not alone at all uncorked the homes this was a slow uh, uninnovative documentary that was actually about 
a bunch of sad men. And I, I don't mean sad like I pity them. I mean, they felt a lot of sadness, whether that's the fathers or the policemen or whatever, who really just entirely exhausted themselves trying to find out what happened to these women that either they really cared about or that they were, you know, as part of their job. And like sort of alternatively, it was the story of these two like brave, amazing women like Marla and Sandra who Mm -hmm. escaped or, you know, survived these like horrific situations and then did absolutely everything they could to stop other people from going through it. Mm -hmm. That was like the heart of this. And yeah, the, the different cases that were introduced and the the focus on this field and that all sort of detracted I think from the real human like juice that was there that I think was the the focus for me. Yeah I think that you know Jessica Dimmick's gold her 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 touch is in talking to revealing these people uh, whether through through trauma or whatever it might be in this kind of, to me, bloated, I mean, Mary and I do bang on about three-part series. I'm sorry, everybody. We do tell you, we do tell you when we think it's effective. So, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to be wrong. But I think of all the three-parts, three-parters that we've complained about, this suffered absolutely the most because we've seen what this director can do. Why? Captive audience was, a, was more focused, yes, mm-hmm. because it was two, these two brothers that it focused on. It's as if she and we and the series got lost along the way. I mean, there are so many uh, women and young girls, and that's a that's a terrible thing to say that we're overloaded by them. But as to be more selective, to make it a a one hour twenty seven minute documentary, to focus on Marla, Sandra, and Gay Gay, the mother of one of the dead girls, Laura mm-hmm. Smither her name was, and Marla, who was the stepdaughter of one of the killers that is revealed, mm-hmm. and Sandra, who was captured by him, threw herself out of a speeding truck on uh, a freeway and was very badly injured but managed to be the one that really broke the case. I think more more concentration on that could have worked. The other thing that could have worked is a, a sort of biographical Docu series about Tim Miller. Now we met Tim mm-hmm. Miller last in I Am Vanessa Guillen. He mm-hmm. is the founder and head of Texas Equisearch. He still goes out. He's he's uh, he's advancing in years. He's in his later days, but he still goes out there. Uh, his daughter was one of the victims. He realized when she went missing, and the police did nothing, saying. Oh, she's 16. She's with her friends. Oh, she might be taking drugs. Oh, she'll turn up. And another girl turned up dead and he said, please go and look there for my daughter. And 17 months later, his daughter was found exactly where he told them to search. But, of course, with the degradation of the elements and animals, there was no useful clues at the time. So, Murray, Tim Miller, how did he strike you in this? His, his it's not insertion in the documentary, but it felt like mm. a different story to me. Yeah, like, uh, honestly, Tim Miller was a, the main reason why we added this to our, our list, honestly, because I saw him, I saw the preview, and I was like, that's the guy who found Vanessa Guillen. And his story interwoven with their story is one of the stories that really touched me, like I said, because I followed Vanessa's case very closely. And he was a... a just as integral with with family in a sense of he was he was really the people the person that was listening to them the most it felt like so I was really I came here for the Tim Miller biography and I liked the Tim Miller biography I didn't like everything else around it <laughs> you yes. know because I I think you're spot on with that because it felt like there was too many things going on and not put in a cohesive way even if they could have done one episode about Tim, one episode about uh, Marla's father, and then one episode about William Reese, that would have probably been better because, again, it took me a while to realize that William Reese and Marla's stepfather, Clyde Hedrick, were two different people. It felt, I don't know, it felt like they were trying to give us an ending, but there was no ending they could have given us for, mm. like, Laura Miller, um, the 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 Calder Road, the Calder Road Girls, because... What we essentially got was they're saying, we think it's Clyde, 
but we don't have any evidence. We're we're leading you to think that it's Clyde. But again, the Justice Department doesn't have any evidence it's him. But here's Marla's story. This is what Clyde did go away for. So maybe you'll feel some some sort of like good feeling at the end i did not and i also felt like marla like i love marla telling her story i love everything about that but when she went out to the field and then she was like oh i think i remember this field i was like "Mm." like it was i was like i don't know (laughs) like i don't yeah about this like it's as if the container of crime scene okay there's going to be a place that's a a crime scene and we're going to tie everything to that so they took marla to the field and she in extremely slow motion walked around it it's like i do not need this hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mari, I like your structure of grouping the three episodes together, like hanging them like a mobile over over your head, but that one is Tim and one is Mala and one is, I suppose, uh, Laura Smither, who is a very important Mm -hmm. young girl figure and her mother gay what struck me with tim's story and he so he goes right back there and he talks about the police said do not talk to the parents of the other girls that are missing and this Mm. is part of texas equisearch that he goes and he embraces them and he talks to them because they were all separated they were families who were all experiencing the same thing as it turned out their daughters were within yards of each other in this field and Mm. as it turned out a couple of them were killed by the same person. And the police were saying, do not talk to anybody about it and particularly not each other. This seems like an unnecessary cruelty. How did it strike you, Lisa? Yeah, exactly. I noted that down as well. I was, this is just typical police based off no good sensible thing, you know, doing mm-hmm. some sort of structure or enforcement or wanting to tell people what to do, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, um, you know, if you're, if you're afraid about people comparing notes like why you know if you're ever wanting two people not to communicate well maybe look at yourself and think well why am I so scared of that like what's going to happen if that happens you know just like all of these cases and all these documentaries that take place in the late 70s and late 80s they say like back then the precincts didn't talk to each other everything was segmented so so-and-so got away with murder it's like we don't want to hear this like it's it's very frustrating and and i'm i'm glad that law enforcement now has completely changed and you know from what we understand there's more cooperation and stuff like that but it's just it it truly felt like it felt like they were trying to lead us somewhere that maybe they didn't know where the destination was Hmm. gonna be yeah yes I just wanted to say a little bit more about Tim Miller because, as we've Please. seen, it's like the, the sort of focus of this thing. Yeah, it's like they built this documentary around him. Um, and yeah, he would have been would have been a great structure to have sort of the focus of a whole episode. But um, I was really interested how they compared Tim and Clyde. Like, I think there was a lot of stuff in there about the the care they had for their children, other people's opinions of them, what they did with their life, their sort of general concern for things. And then at the end, how Marla and Tim sort of had that sort of, I don't know if they have a relationship, but they certainly know each other. And, you know, he was comforting her when she was talking to the press and they went mm-hmm. to the field together and things like that. And I think that's something that documentaries like this that deal with 
true crime or very like horrifying things do quite a lot in a way that other documentaries don't like science documentaries or whatever because the subject matter being discussed is so like anti-human it's so disconnected it's so foreign thinking how can people do this to other people that they sort of put in these structures of um you know you know this like oh well they did well, there was like a bad guy and a good guy. And of course, in true crime, there is a bad guy and a good guy. Mm-hmm. But they sort of, you know, exaggerate them a little bit. Like, so Tim, he, but he, he went on a witch hunt. He went on a witch hunt about this Richard Robert Abel guy. And Skip yeah. said um, that Tim was convinced is, he was on the is, righteous path. This is Skip Hollinsworth, uh, the journalist <laughs> yeah. from the Texas Mo- Monthly Magazine. Yes. Go on. Skip You're talking about Skip too. like he's our pal. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, Skip Collinsworth, who is the person that I think documentary makers bring in if they want them to give like the sound bites. Like his whole job in that documentary was like giving shouty sound bites, I thought nearly. Like it's when you're on Survivor and the producers say, Hey, would you say you're a lion let loose among the pigeons? And then if you say it, and that's like the promo they use for all the episodes. And that's like, like this. It's just like at the start and end of everything, he was just saying these like punchy journalist things. But um Anyway, yeah, so he said that Tim was convinced he was on the righteous path, you know, and that's scary. That's scary, I think. And, um, yes, he, you know, he really did, like, conduct a witch hunt against this Richard or Robert Abel guy. And, you know, that led to his whole life getting tanked, basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Tim said that, oh, you know, he apologised and they reconciled. But, you know, to me, the the real litmus test of character is, you know, how you feel about your actions before they ruin someone's life. Yeah. You know, so I just thought it was interesting. But but also they put this in. So it wasn't like they were trying to make Tim a superhero because they put in the stuff, but then they sort of say, oh, well, but he made up and, oh, him and Marla are like friends now, so that's good. But it was just, I wasn't sure where to... Where to put it? Because it felt like it felt like a whole bunch of red herrings. I'm trying to think of if there's been another documentary that we've watched, but it's like it, it felt like okay, what about this guy? This guy may have done it. Oh, what about this guy? This guy may have done it. And but then not really going in depth of what was happening. Like some of the better parts of the documentary, I thought that could actually like help is like when they were trying to identify Janet and Jane Doe like going through their cases, going through the cases of like Laura Miller, like, oh, what happened? You know, Laura was supposed yeah. to be going home. Like, like I feel I I feel like it, I would have liked it better if they kind of gave a little bit more space to the the victims' cases and the victim stories to maybe like to help it because these are technically still unsolved murders. So if you do a like unsolved mysteries or or stuff stuff like that, you give all of the details of the case so that people can help and so tips, maybe new fresh tips have come in. And I don't know if that was it. And I don't know if I'm making sense here, but it, it really just yes, felt... Totally. Yes, yes. That was a whole end. other thread, Jane and Janet mm. Doe. And they had, at the time, you know, the the technology was such that you put little pegs on a skull and then you could draw <laughs> a picture of a face. Horrifying sculpture. And these, these, these two faces that they said, you know, do you know this woman? And they were these strange faces. You thought nobody looks like that. When they found out who the two women were, they looked exactly <laughs> like those pictures. It was extraordinary. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, why didn't why didn't people come forward and say, oh, I know those these people? So Jane and Janet Doe were. I, I liked them as a sort of thematic thread of yes, we know about these people, but who are these women? Who are these killed and tossed aside like trash? women and why why isn't anyone claiming them but it was like it was too sidelong glance for me I mean if you're going to talk about these two women let's hear more about them and then mm-hmm. when the de- yes. genealogy DNA finds yeah. them who were they why were they never claimed Ooh. that's another so it was like there were two many threads in this. I forgot rug. about that. Yeah, mm. that was like at the end. At the end, they revealed the the. Oh, by like the way, the, we know who they are. You know, yeah, was, yeah. Was, at the, at the then, very end of the third episode, yeah. they're like, "Oh, here they are," but didn't tell us a stitch about either of their lives. Like, not yes. one. This was Audrey Cook mm. and Donna Prudhomme. Yeah, I think Audrey Cook was a mechanic. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. But um, yeah, and so Richard Renison, the FBI guy. 
mm-hmm. um, at the end, he, he's like, so if anyone's got any information, like, please let us know. I'm retiring in 18 months. Yeah, I was like, this is a strange way to, like, and, and like you said, Mary, if this is sort of unsolved mystery, or, yeah, unsolved mystery style where they do want people to well, then spend a little bit more time, that was just a funny thing to, I was like, it, oh, it, so this is actually, you're asking for information now? They don't know? Like, what documentary so, are they watching? It's so frustrating because they had to have had a familiar connection, a familial connection in order to find out who they were. Why are we not talking to that familiar connection? You know what I'm saying? Why? Like, I'm confused. Like, okay, so who's, yeah, I'm, I'm probably, they probably can't say whose DNA they use, but did they follow up? Did they talk to them? Did they know they had a long loss? blank or blank or cousin or grandmother you know like I'm I was really shocked that we didn't get any type of follow-up once we got the once we got them ID'd it it was really weird really I really thought it was going to be that that like you know at some point in the documentary they were going to say and then they ID'd Janet Doe and it was Clyde's sister so that ties the whole thing together like they're sort of stringing it like it was going to be something like that and then it's just like oh no it's just these like two two women who we're not going to spend much time on and they said when we have no idea how they could have come into contact to be into this field too it's like it was and 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 if you know let us know Mm -hmm. it's as if I mean for me one of the things I liked stop dragging the documentary one of the things I really liked about I love maps so I love the maps and I love the Mm -hmm. placement on the map so that I feel kept me placed in space and then I felt the timeline did a very good job at keeping me placed in time because Mm. one of the problems with the timeline are people go missing and at different times they're found. So mm-hmm. the date of them being missing, the date of them being found can be very different. And in between, someone can go missing and be found. So I felt that I was kept very on track in time and space. I liked the, the drone shots. Call me cheap. I liked the drone mm-hmm. shots. But I feel that there was – normally we say three episodes is too long. I felt the length of these three episodes. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I felt it was trying to contain far too much story so that mm-hmm. we became frustrated with any thread that we tried to follow other than other than Tim Miller. Uh, but I would have liked a discreet episode about about Tim because uh, I liked him cursing God at the end. He obviously believes in God. He said, God had another plan for me. I'm not very happy with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was it was like. Lots of nice ingredients, but thrown together in a disgusting stew that you just can't get through. Mm, very, very. Yeah, I love thing. how you started that saying to stop dragging this documentary. <laughs> 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 it's a disgusting stew. And I ended with a disgusting stew. Yeah. I, yes. I, I love the, the timeline and the nice, clear years. That was great. Great, yeah. big, taking up the whole screen. Love it. And I agree, but I also felt like we saw the Calder Road map several times, several, yes. several times, yes. over and over, over yes. and over. I did. I, we between the map of it, between the Tim standing in front of the grave. Oh, please, no more, no more Tim Jones standing spot. in front of the grave. Yeah, it was just, I, it was over and over and over again. So I'm like, you really are looking for stuff to fill this three, the three uh, episodes. So, yeah, but at the same yeah. time, we were there was parts of it that we wanted to go into more that didn't get got into. So it's a funny situation of like, yeah, <laughs> too long but too short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I agree. Well, I don't think we've had something so so boldly jumbled as as both wanting more and wanting a lot mm-hmm. less. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, we do spend time with Marla, someone I could have spent more time with. Uh, what was your response to her and what she had to say? I thought she was amazing. Uh, most of my notes, uh, things that she said or things that she did, really struck me. How she had these horrible experiences, and it's obviously so painful for her to talk about them. But she keeps on talking about them and talking about them to everyone. Like she just keeps on going to the police and talking to the media. Um, she said at one point that she's like trying to provide a voice for the victims who haven't found their voice yet. I just found that like just really moving like what a woman and there was one part where 
like this is oh man this tells you this tied into so many things for me with like doing emotional labor for other people and people who have suffered just trying to like help everyone was when she was literally driving the crew of the documentary around the scenes the places that she had been abused and then there was one and she said um she said she was explaining she explained all about it what happened there where it was and she's like okay I'm done and then she like clarifies oh I'm just done with this place like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on going I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it is her. She just like keeps on going. And I just found her incredibly inspiring. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Marla did a great job. And I, again, I feel like her story is kind of, it feels weird in, in a sense of being lumped in with the other women. And the thing about Marla is that she went to the police and gave with her mother and gave her statement after mm-hmm. she was shown the, the hole in the wall. And they did nothing with it. Mm. So, again, when she said in the press conference, I'm here as a voice for people who no longer have a voice and I'm here for people who have yet to find their voice, which was, as you say, Lisa, incredible, you think, and she herself knows what it's like not to be heard. So, mm-hmm. yes, she was, she was a, a, a real emotional centre of the documentary, but it also made me reflect on one of the problems with putting victims and survivors of abuse either in the public or on the stand in their mm-hmm. own uh, cases is that you re-traumatise them every time they have to mm-hmm. tell the story. So anyone that says, well, if that happened, why didn't you speak up? Just maybe go into a corner and think think about it for a moment. Yeah, there's like emotional, there's this expectation that victims will do like just every part of emotional labour required to talk about these things or to, you know, bring their people bring their abusers to justice or anything. And it's just outrageous. Like, yeah, I, I reflected on it too after this documentary. And I remember the thing that struck me was there was one point where, so Alan Beeson, the lady that had, uh, Clyde had said, you know, apparently drowned, but now when they exhumed the body, it seemed like he'd killed her. And then he hid her body. Um, someone, I can't remember who it was, said that apparently Clyde had admitted to her friend that he'd killed her but it took two years for the so so the, this man said in the same sentence said he threatened to kill her if she told anyone, um, mm-hmm. and it took her two but it took her two years to tell people. Mm-hmm. It's just like well, of course, like there's just so lack of understanding there of what it's like to be in that situation. I think. I think what I'm what I'm what's like really messing me up here is because once you said it, I do remember the jailhouse confessions and I do uh, remember like Marla talking about this. I feel like the placement was just bad here because why did we get the Calder Road killings, which apparently are perpetrated by Clyde and all of the things that he did to move to Gay Smither and Laura's cases? And the three, the three women who died, like, I guess it was further down, uh, 45, uh, Kellyanne Cox, I think was another one of those victims. And then uh, of course the survivor, Sandra, uh, Sepau, like we get, we then get William Reese's. These are William Reese's victims from what we understand, Jessica Kane, Laura Smither, Kellyanne Cox. And then we go back to Clyde and Marla and the third one and Laura and them and Janet and Jane, but no real resolution. Like, why did we jump around like that? You know, what, what, what was the reason of that? Why didn't we just continue Clyde, uh, introduce Marla earlier, get those killings out of the way and how, and how they, they finished up out of the way. And we go to William Reese's killings. Like, like as you guys were were talking, I was remember I was literally sitting here trying to remember. I was like, when did we get introduced to Marla? Because that's what I was trying to say. It was like her introduction felt so weird oh, and out of she, place. She she was yeah. first in episode one, and it said, and I wrote it down, and then yes. I had to change it. It said Marla, a resident of Galveston, and then oh. we see her in episode two, and it says yeah. Marla, a survivor of abuse. It's like <laughs> what. <laughs> And I think too, I mean, even with you saying that through now, Mari, I'm thinking, yes, Jane Doe and Janet Doe, whose names are Audrey Cook and Donna Prudhomme, we don't know who killed them. There's no resolution. So it's like they were afterthoughts or side thoughts. And the documentary maker is asking us to hold 
I mean, we should hold all these women and girls in our minds anyway. Of course. But Mm. when we're watching an entertainment product uh, where we're trying to be informed, we're trying to be made to think, and I thought that there was plenty of things to think about in this documentary, I, I either the production company did Jessica Dimmock dirty or she's not the director that I thought she was. Mm, yeah. I, I just think, I think they, they, they could have had a better vision if they focused more on the victims, because when you got like, when we read all of these names of the victims at the beginning of this podcast, the, all of those victims are not named in this documentary. Uh, mm. Listeners. It was, you know, it was only about what seven ish or something like that around that or, um, in comparison, so I think you would you would have probably had a, a better documentary if you if you followed some of these victims and what were their last move, moments and movements. Could they? Do we think some of these cases are um, are connected? Like I, I don't know. I just feel like this was not the right format. I guess like the three parter aside, I just think the the, the story structure just does not make logical sense and i get and we can move on because i can't say that i can only say that in so many ways ways. i'm sitting here trying to like twist my brain and wrap my brain around (laughs) yes well let's let's go to our ratings now although perhaps they're slightly spoiled at least how many (laughs) magnifying glasses are you going to rate the texas killing fields out of a possible five i'm gonna rate it at two Just like a functional thing. Mm -hmm. I don't really. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Intelligible grants. I'm not really. Yeah. Mari, how about you? Yeah. I'm like struggling between a two and a one right now. You've never given less than a two before, Mari. No, I gave a one once. Remember, I've given a one once. And that's what I'm trying to think about if I'm like for uh, the Girl Scout murders. So, oh, that piece of shit. Right. I'm like, it's not as enraging as the Girl Scout murders. So I think I'm going to give it a two, uh, Mm -hmm. like Lisa said, because I still think it is. it's a watchable documentary, but I won't recommend it to be quite honest. If you're, and I, I don't know if this, I don't want to say this as like to be really bad, but like it, it wasn't quote unquote entertaining. I don't feel like the, I feel like the victims were present and center. I feel like their families were present and center, but I do feel like they missed the mark with it as well. Like I, I, like we said, they gave us like, a lot of them, they give us some of the victims, but not as much as I wanted, I guess. The families, we said, were the best part. I, the editing is, no, I can't give it credit on the editing. So I'm just going to give it two. I'm just, yes. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, yes, I, uh, sorry to everybody who wanted a little diversity. Yeah, I'm giving it a two as well. I am still interested to see more from this director. I'm not Ooh. ready to discount her because I feel. I that she may have been under some uh, under some structure that she was compelled to follow, and captive audience certainly showed us what she what she can do. Can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to say don't watch it. Watch it if you want to. There's like it's it's I won't even say it's fine, but you know, watch it if you want to. But I'm not going to recommend it. Uh, I would recommend that you watch the Times Square Killer. I think it's very well done. Yes. and uses uh-huh. the three episodes extremely well. So, mm-hmm. yes, we're going to walk away from this field to, <laughs> from each of us. Mari, please, mm-hmm. something cheerful. Give us one of your patented oh. mini reviews. <laughs> Nothing cheerful, really. Um, <laughs> Netflix just dropped uh, Don't Pick Up the Phone, and it is fascinating. Uh, Don't Pick Up the Phone is about the uh, fast food uh, I don't even know what to call it, but it's like it was a string of hoax phone calls that between 1994 and 2004, almost a 10-year span, where a, a man was calling fast food restaurants like McDonald's, Burger King's, Taco, Taco Bell's, and basically persuading managers to give their employees like strip searches, like strip searches, and basically assaulting their um, employees and this happened across the country in like 32 states 10 years apart 
or, or for over uh, stretched out over 10 years. And the police were just baffled that somebody can pick up a phone, be told like, hey, I'm a police officer. I think one of your employees stole something. Take them into the back, strip search them, basically demean them, trigger warning, sexually assault some of these people. And these managers or these uh, other, I think they had uh, some cases, other customers participated. But in the most famous case, if anybody knows about this case in general, there is a case in Kentucky where uh, uh, the manager she had her fiance come in and take over listening and, and receiving instructions from the phone call. And he ended up sexually assaulting the employee. So that was, I knew the basis, the basic case, that, that case. And I knew about this uh, story uh, because it was made into a very famous episode of Law & Order SVU featuring Robin Williams called Authority. And it, and it, was, it was something that I knew of, but... Don't pick up the phone on Netflix. It's a three-parter. It is very good, very well structured. It goes in depth about not only the main case, uh, that last case that I, I talked about is kind of what blew open and made these other police officers officers connect the dots that this has been going on for years across multiple uh, states. And it's it's put together so well. It's so good. It's the direct antithesis of this. And it's also a very interesting um, concept because, like I said, what happens when you are being told by a quote unquote authority figure to do something that you know is not right? And it, it's very interesting to me because, you know, I'm the type of person I question a lot of authority and I don't <laughs> trust the police. So, uh, um, I think it was very, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting watch. So definitely I would say check that out instead of this. That's don't pick up the phone on Netflix. Wonderful. I meant cheerful as in, you know, some, something good, good something <laughs> well made rather than the subject matter. Thanks, Mari. Mm -hmm. Now, last time you were on Lisa, you <laughs> gave us Lisa's list and we had lots of listeners loving Lisa's list. So let's have it again. <laughs> this is a bit of a random Lisa's list. I, I told Sarah I may have actually like blown my list load last time I was on, but I do have. I think if you, oh man, this is it. Yeah, if you enjoyed or if you're interested in the things covered in the Texas Killing Fields, then I think these things might be something you're interested in. The first thing is briefly in this documentary, they mentioned that it got the name The Killing Fields from the 1984 movie The Killing Fields, which um, I don't know if either of you have seen. I feel like I've seen it, but I'm not sure. Mm. Yes, I, I remember the title. I may have seen it. I was certainly alive in 1984. Yeah, yeah. It's a 1984 movie based on an amazing true story, a uh, story of journalist Dith Pran about Cambodia. It's, it's a very full-on movie, but it is a good one. So if you've never seen it, um, yeah, yeah, check it out. Yeah, check it out. It, yeah. mm, um, okay. There is a A&E, which I think is a network in America. Is that right? Uh, it's yes, it is. It's the Arts and Entertainment Channel is what it was originally called. A and E here in America, yeah. mm -hmm. in New Zealand, it stands for Accident and Emergency. So I thought it was like a medical theme channel, but anyway. <laughs> um, so there's a documentary called The Eleven, and a lot of people from this documentary that we watched are also in The Eleven. Oh, yeah. It's but it deals with the murders that happened between 1971 and 1977. So in this documentary, they were alluded to, like they would, they said, I think they said, oh, 11, 11 people went missing between in the 70s. And then they sort of jumped in on the 80s murders. But this documentary is all about that. I haven't seen it, but if you're interested, this would be like a natural next step, I think. Something that was covered on this channel uh, called, on oh, this channel, <laughs> something that was covered on this mm. podcast, My Daughter's Killer. If you found, if you haven't watched that and you found the story of, Tim Miller and John Fye and you know all the dads and guys in this documentary who are just really putting their life into the ground to try and work out what happened then I think my daughter's killer is very very similar like that yeah that's and that, that was a, a good a good moving sort of thing I found yes very um, much so 
Yeah. If you like ambiguous endings, <laughs> you like this documentary. No, thank you. Mary doesn't. I love ambiguous endings. No, thank you. Uh, yes, and please. if you like ambiguous endings and you haven't watched the original Staircase documentary, I would, mm. I would definitely break into that. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched the original Staircase documentary, just regardless, do it anyway, even if you hate <laughs> ambiguous endings. The owl did it. <laughs> oh, the owl. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked before about my favorite true crime book, which is Eric Larson's The Ghost in the White City. He also wrote a book called Isaac Storm about the hurricane that destroyed Galveston in Texas, which Mm. is right near where this is all based. That's an amazing book. So if you have any sort of connection to the area, or even if you don't, and you just like really well-written nonfiction, then Isaac Storm is a great one. It's only tangentially related. I told you this is like a bit of a random <laughs> selection. Mm-hmm. There was some things that sort of came up from something that I sort of went down little rabbit holes of my personal interest when I watched this. And um, something that people might not know is New Zealand had a series of hitchhiker murders in the sort of 70s, 80s, the same time frame we're talking about. And because New Zealand is such a small place, you know, at, at that time the country had about 3 million population, maybe less. and it's seen as a very safe place for overseas tourists to visit. There is this history of tourists visiting New Zealand, hitchhiking and getting murdered, going missing, never being found. And those murders are like the kind that I think in a way that, you know, America is such a big country, whereas New Zealand's a very small country. And so it's like those murders, like I know the names of all those people who were murdered, you know, I've just known them my whole life. You know, it's like a very sort of, I don't really know how to, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but sort of like ingrained in the DNA of the nation, these like mm. crimes and what a, what a big difference they made to our culture. And, you know, I grew up hearing about how unsafe it was to hitchhike and, and all these things. So, yeah, I think just giving a Google, if you're interested in that, you know, New Zealand hitchhikers, murders or people being killed in New Zealand who are tourists with some really horrible, but also like interesting stories about that. And the last thing was um, that forensic facial reconstruction and forensic genealogy. Oh, my gosh. So interesting. As discussed. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the first time, I think it was on the TV show, That's Incredible, if anyone's old enough to remember Ooh. that. <laughs> and, um, they, they, shot, they had a story about a lady who, yeah, put, like, did the facial reconstructions. And I remember she used to cut the ends off pencil erasers. And that was how they got the rubber when the field was just starting. So. I Googled it to try and find like particularly good documentaries or particularly good articles, but there's such a range. There's, you know, very scientific things right up to very basic things. So, yeah, I think give those things, those two things a Google, forensic facial reconstruction and forensic genealogy because it's so interesting. And forensic genealogy is making, solving so many unsolved cases, including most recently the boy in the box, which you already talked about, which is just, yeah, yeah, super fascinating. So, yeah, that's that's, that's it. That's it for me. And in fact, that, that television program, that's incredible. Uh, it did have a New Zealand version hosted by Phil Cogan. Yes, that Phil Whoa. Cogan. And it was called That's Fairly Interesting. <laughs> and if you think, if you think I'm joking, please research it and you'll find not only am I not joking about Phil Cogan, I am also not joking about the title. That's well, mildly I'm, I'm, interesting. That's yeah, not yeah, fairly really, interesting. Really interesting. <laughs> no, no, I, I know. It's, it's, it's a very New Zealand uh, uh, way of yeah. doing it. No. Um, that's incredible story. from Americans. And oh, that's yeah. fairly interesting from a New Zealand. Sorry, Lisa. Yeah, it was I, a New Zealand accent invitation. Did you like that? Don't like that. No, you I'm, don't. I'm, oh. <laughs> I am. I met Phil Cogan when he was the host of Spot On which was a like, young teen adult entertainment program <laughs> after school. Um, yeah, I met him at like oh, my wow. local mall one time. It was pretty cool. You should tweet at him and let him know. <laughs> I probably mm. New Zealand's so small, honestly. I probably do know people who know him. Mm. All right. At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes as well as your recommendations. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene, R-H-A-P, that's scene, S-E-E-N. Didn't know today was going to be so much spelling, Murray. Mm-hmm. Or email us at crimescene, R-H-A-P, at gmail.com. 
We're also on TikTok at crime.scene. That's at crime.scen. And on Instagram at crime scene podcast. Uh, Lisa, what do you have going on? Where can the people find you? Just living my normal life. And I'm on Twitter at Lisa Stanger, S-T-A-N-G-E-R. Thank you. What about you, Mari? Where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two like the number two. Because uh, me and Matt, we're currently on break on the Wrestling Rehap Up, even though news keeps breaking every day. And, you know, people are asking us for an emergency episode. We won't do it. We, we are staying on our hiatus and we'll be back in January. So make sure you follow me. And Lady Matt, needs a break, everybody. Stop asking for things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but we also appreciate you listening to us and wanting to know our opinions. Uh, but follow at Matt Scott GW on Twitter so you can know when we're both coming back. We did the 2022 in review on post show recaps, um, reviewing. Uh, the Atlanta coverage that we did this year, both me, Latanya Starks, and Chappelle covered two seasons of Atlanta over on Post Show Recaps in 2022. So go over there and um, listen, check that out. You can go to the main Post Show Recaps feed in order to hear that. I'm pretty sure he also dropped it in the um, Atlanta feed. So you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash Atlanta to listen to our final, 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 absolute final thoughts on the series <laughs> Atlanta and what we think it did for the culture uh, for this year and um, its impact. So definitely go check that out. Uh, this week, me and Gia Worthy will be covering, uh, we'll be doing a one-off podcast for the Sex Lives of College Girls uh, season two finale. So we'll be going over all of season two of the Sex Life of College Girls, which can be, you can watch on HBO Max. Me and Gia love the show. We're so glad we get to just talk about season two with you guys in a one-off podcast. We heard you guys wanted some post-show recaps uh, coverage of it. So just go and subscribe to post-show recaps so you know when that drops. Uh, Sarah, where can the people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. You can catch me over on Silent Podcast. No rest for me. I'm recapping The Traitors UK week by week with Australian Ninja Warrior Sean Bryan. We're in week three and it is really ramping up. Very exciting. On post-show recaps, I'm covering Welcome to Chippendales with the great Jason Reed. And in the 2022 year in review, I revisited Our Flag Means Death with my pirate crew. Grace Leader and Brooklyn Z. Next time on Crime Scene, we're watching Orgasm Inc. Or should I have mm-hmm. said Coming to Crime Scene? Oh, mm, maybe. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, joining us for that is Crime Scene's cult correspondent, the aforementioned Gia Worthy. So watch that on Netflix. Send us your comments and questions. I think there'll be a lot to cover. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Lisa Holmes for joining us, Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Chelsea Lesser and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case closed. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.